Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. A comedian, which is a, a, it's a fortuitous career choice because I, uh, I, I have a hard time waking up in the morning. Uh, and, uh, you know, most of these shows are at night. Uh, and... Uh, I, I, some people don't understand that. Whenever I tell people I have a hard time waking up in the morning, some, some people don't get it. Like, they get out of bed like they're getting off the bench at a basketball game. They're like, all right, let's do this, you know. <laughs> Hands up or whatever. I don't know. But, but I'm like a lame cow in the road. I'm just like, meow, Like when I'm staying at a hotel, I have to call the front desk and be like, can I have a wake up call for 7, 7, 10, 7, 20, 9, 30, and 1, 30 p.m.? <laughs> I, I literally, I, I feel like when I go to bed at night, it's like a different human being that enters my body for the night shift. And I call, I call my guy Sleepy Carl. That's my guy. And he's, he's, like, he's a terrible employee, but he's a great dude. <laughs> Like he's always like slobbering in my pillow and muttering about Vietnam. But then he'll try and talk me out of waking up with these great plans. He'll be like, why would you go out there when you can stay here and ride on a Ferris wheel made of pizza? You know? That sounds amazing, Carl. You're getting a raise. Uh. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. I'm not a morning person, so that is 100% me. Some of you are morning people. Morning people, anybody like identify as a morning person? I love you, appreciate you. I do not understand you. Like it doesn't even make like it doesn't even compute for me. But uh, whether you're a morning person or not, I am convinced that everybody has a sleepy Carl. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe your sleepy Carl isn't sleepy, but you, you have a, a you, another you that kind of comes along and, and trips you up, right? And, you know, maybe it's not sleepy Carl for you. Maybe for you it's angry Carl or angry Carla for you, you ladies out there. Uh, but, you know, maybe you're, you're the type of person where you're like, you know, I, I, I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to snap at my kids. Like, I, I want everybody to know me as the, the kind and compassionate and generous and patient person I am 98% of the time. But every so often, angry Carl just kind of swoops in and, and snaps. Maybe for you, it's not angry Carl. Maybe it's dishonest Carl. All right, and you, know, you, you find yourself, you're caught between a rock and a hard place, and you, you want to be the kind of person that, that tells the truth, that is truthful, that has integrity, and like, that's who you, you aspire to be, that's who you genuinely want to be, but then, then dishonest Carl is over here being like, but hey, if you just say it this way, then you won't get in trouble and there will be no repercussions. Do it. Right? And, and dishonest Carl swoops in and you end up kind of succumbing to dishonest Carl. Or maybe for you it's chaotic Carl. Maybe you're, you're the type of person where, you know, you, you, genu- you want your life to be in order. You want your house to be in order. You want your schedule to be in order. And, like, you have these aspirations and you pick up t- task lists and apps and things and whatever you can to just bring it to order. But, but chaotic Carl just keeps swooping in and bringing chaos into your world no matter how hard you try 
Maybe for you it's greedy, Carl. Maybe you have these, these aspirations where you want to, you really do want to be generous and selfless and sacrificial. You want to be the type of person who, who really does invest financially in the work that God is doing in the world. And like you want to be obedient to that call to give. And, and that's who you want to be. But then like greedy Carl is over here saying, but if you give that money there, then you won't have it for this other thing. And you know, if you, you spend it that way, then, then it's going to set us back and we're going to be, we won't be able to get the house that we want, or maybe we won't be able to get the house at all, or maybe we'll have to downgrade this vacation, you know, and greedy Carl comes in with all these creative ways for you to not be that generous person. Or maybe for you, it's not chaotic Carl or greedy Carl or dishonest Carl. Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's sexy Carl. You've been, you've been so good for so long. It's been months. You haven't had any slip-ups or anything. And then just one night, you're kind of scrolling through. And then you scroll past something. And, and, greedy, and sexy Carl's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just scroll back a little bit. <laughs> what if you click on it? It's not going to, no, it just, it's not going to hurt. You just click on it. And I bet if you click on that. Mm, yep. And next thing you know, you're just, you're in there. And you don't want to be that person you try so hard and, Sexy Carl comes in. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm convinced that all of us have our versions of Sleepy Carl, this other version of us that comes in and just swoops you know, our feet out from under us when we're trying to be something else. And the reason I'm convinced that we all have this is because we have things like New Year's resolutions. Think about it. You would not need a New Year's resolution. You would not need resolutions to do new things if there wasn't a sleepy Carl in your life, right? If you wanted to, you'd just say, hey, this year I'm going to eat better, and then you'd eat better. Ta-da! Or you'd say, oh, this year I'm going to make better choices, and you make better choices. But the reason we need to make resolutions, we need to be so determined, is because we have, you know, hungry Carl saying, no, you're not going to eat better. You're going to eat pizza uh, every night for a week. Uh, Right? We all have this, this other version of us that keeps getting in the way of the person that we want to be. And what happens is over time there's this gap that is created, this gap that exists between who you are currently, the person you are, the life you have, all of that right now, and the person that you, you want to be. The person you know you could be. Perhaps even the person you, you think you ought to be. This gap between who you are and who you ought to be, and that's an uncomfortable gap for us. To sit in that space and to know that's what I could be, that's what I should be, but this is where I am. We try to get there, but sleepy Carl keeps coming in and interfering with our, our plans. Start to feel that, that angst over that gap. If you've, you've been in that place, if you've felt that, that sense of angst over this gap between who you are and who you, you want to be, who you're supposed to be, you are in good company. Because this is, this is precisely how the Apostle Paul describes his walk in life. Like the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, he's like a rock star of the Christian faith. Outside of Jesus himself, there's nobody who's been more influential for Jesus and the church than the Apostle Paul. He's planted more churches. He was more influential in like, the spread of Christianity than anybody else. He wrote almost half of the books of the New Testament. He's like 
the apostle Paul, and when he describes what life is for him and how his walk is for him, he describes it in this, this same way where he's like, I have these things I want to do. I aspire to be these things, but, but there's a gap between me and them, and the reason is because of Sleepy Carl. Right? He doesn't call him Sleepy Carl. He calls him like the flesh or the body of flesh or the law of sin and death, but he has his own other him, right? his version of Sleepy Carl that keeps getting in the way and he, he, he feels this. He sees this gap between who he is and who he wants to be because of sleepy Carl. And he, he cries out. He says, what a wretched man I am. Ugh. What a wretched man I am. I keep trying again and again and again. And I, I feel like I'm taking two steps forward and one step back. And what a wretched man I am. He says, who can rescue me from sleepy Carl? Okay, he doesn't say that. He says, who can rescue me? from this body that is subject to death, right? Who can rescue me from this body? He talks about his body, his flesh, as though it has an identity of its own. Who's going to rescue me from this? I'm such a wretch. Some of you can, can identify with that feeling, right? Maybe you never use that word wretch to describe yourself, but you've been in that place where you just feel like, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a failure, I'm deficient, I'm inadequate, whatever the, the term is, but that feeling of like, I just can't do it. I need help. I can't do it. Who's going to possibly help me? Here's Paul. He's in that place. And for him, he, he responds with this, this despair, right? He's a despairer, so his kind of go-to, his way of coping with it is like to say, woe is me, I'm a wretch. Some of you, maybe that's your coping mechanism that you go to despair. You're a despairer, so you're like, woe is me, I'm such a wretch, I'm such a loser, I'm such a failure. But I think we have a lot of different ways of coping with this. So like some of us, we're not despairers, we're defenders. So like we, we kind of see this gap between who I am and who I want to be, and we kind of feel that sense of wretchedness just for a second, and then we, we come and we start defending ourselves, and we come up with all these excuses. Well, like, well no, no, this is, uh, it's not that. It's like their fault and this thing. And we just, we're, we're like really great defense attorneys for ourselves in that moment. Others, maybe you're not uh, a defender, maybe you're a performer, right? And so you, you are just going to, you see this gap, and so what you're going to do is you're just going to hustle, 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 hustle. You're not going to stop until you can close that gap, and you're going to perform, and you're going to perform, and you're going to perform, and you're going to hit those failures, and it's going to wreck you, but then you're going to perform, and you're going to perform, it's going to inspire you to go push harder, 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 and while you're doing good, you're like, yeah, it's going good, but in the back of your mind, you're like, failure is just right around the corner, and what if it comes? Some of you, maybe you're not uh, performers or defenders or, or despairers. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you're distractors, right? And so your way of coping with the gap between who you are and who you, you want to be, who you're supposed to be, is just distract yourself. Just consume yourself with whatever you can. Like, distract yourself with a busy schedule and with entertainment and all of these other things just to keep your mind off of the gap. Or maybe for some of you, you're, you're deniers, that your, your way of coping with the gap is to pretend that the gap is insignificant. Say, oh, no, 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 the, the problem, the whole problem here is even looking at the gap. No, what I need to do is stop focusing on this person that I'm supposed to be or I could be and just be happy with who I am. Just love who I am. And we, we post things on social media that say, what if, what if you simply devoted this year to loving yourself more? Or, or be the one who's so busy loving yourself that you have no time for regrets, drama, or negativity, right? 
We, we deny that the gap's there. What we really need to do is just love ourselves as we are, right? But you know what these are? This is like one more thing for you to do and not be able to actually do. Like, you notice that like if this is you, you probably posted something like this last year around New Year's and the year before. And the reason you keep having to post it over and over again, because it's one more thing for you to do that you just can't do. Because your version of sweet, Sleepy Carl won't even let you love yourself more. Whatever our way of coping with it, we're in that same place as Paul where we're just like, what a, what a wretch I am. And here's what I find amazing is the very next thing out of Paul's breath, out of Paul's mouth, in the very next breath, it's not, not what you expect. You expect it, here he is. He's in this place of despair. He feels like a wretch. But the very next words out of his mouth are, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes right from despair for being a loser to praising God. Like genuine despair to genuine praise in half a breath. How does he, how does he get there? And, and the reason he's able to go from despair over feeling like a wretch to, to praising God and thanking God so quickly is because after Romans 7 comes, wait for it, wait for it, Romans 8. And if you're not familiar with Romans 8, Oh, man, you should be. Because Romans 8 is the best. Like, it's, it's arguably the greatest chapter in the Bible, and I'm not the only one that thinks that. Like, saints throughout the ages have been saying that. I don't know if you're, like, allowed to say that, like, one chapter is better. But Romans 8 is, like, densely packed with these amazing promises from God about who he is and what he's done for us and who you are. And it's amazing. It's so amazing that we're going to spend now until Easter going through Romans 8 and unpacking these amazing promises in our new series we're kicking off today called Wait for it. Wait for it. Because these promises are so good that if you could really, like, if you could really internalize them, if we could really grasp these promises, it would just keep us on the edge of our seat. It's more than we could, like, possibly handle. It's better than we could possibly imagine. It's so, so good. And so we're just going to immerse ourselves in these promises, trying to understand what that, these promises mean for us today. And, and some of these promises are about, like, the future, things that God is going to do in the future. And so with those ones, you, like, literally have to wait for it. But other promises are, like, for now, things about right now. They're promises that are currently accessible to you, and these promises are waiting for you to lean into them. They're so, so good. And so I'm personally really excited to just spend this time diving into the promises that are revealed in Romans 8. Because it is, it is like this, this revelation. It's like the big reveal, right? It's like the first seven chapters of Romans, he's kind of been talking about all of this stuff. But then like Romans 8, he's just pulling back the curtain. He's like, this is it. Ta-da. It's so Good. It's 39 verses packed with incredible promises. And here's Paul, and he's in this place of despair. What's going to happen? He goes right to worship because he knows what comes next. And it starts off, Romans 8, 1, starts off with, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's in this place, and he just feels like, I, I can't. I, I, I can't be that person that I want to be. Sleepy Carl keeps undercutting me every time I try and I try and I try and I can't do it. Woe is me, but thanks be to God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. Right now, 
Right now, not in the future, not after you, you get your act together, but right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to press into this just a little bit. Because this idea of condemnation, it seems a little like, I don't know, far-fetched, but, but condemnation, condemnation is the reason that we're so uncomfortable with the gap. Like, why do you want to be a better you? Why do you make New Year's resolutions? Why do you kind of make these resolutions that, oh, you know, this is the year that I'm not going to do this. This is the year that I'm not going to do this. Or this is the year that I am going to do this. Why do we try to close this gap between who we are and who we want to be? Why do we feel that angst so much? Why do we get so bent out of shape when we try to close that gap and we fail? This is condemnation. Because if, if who you are right now, who you are right now, what you are right now, if this is as good as it gets, if this is as good as you get, there is a sense that there, there will be some sort of judgment. And for those who are followers of Christ, we recognize that, that God is our judge. But even if you're not a follower of Christ, there is a sense that there is judgment coming. And maybe it's judgment coming from your, your family, you're a parent. Maybe it's judgment coming from just society in general, judgment coming from a, a particular person in your life who you, you respect and admire. Maybe it's judgment coming from your, your own like kids, who you are going to be to them. Maybe you're the judge, right? Maybe for you it is, it is God. But there's this, this sense of judgment in that if you don't get past where you are right now, the person you are right now, if this is as good as you get and you never make it any farther, you never shake that bad habit, you never get rid of that sin, and maybe it's not even about a sin thing for you. Maybe it's, it's about just where you're at in life. Like you never get that job. You never go on that trip. You never get that house. You never improve your status. But the sense that if you never get past where you are right now and you, you stand before judgment, whoever's going to judge you, even if that's yourself who's judging you, that if you're, you're right now, if this is as good as you get, that you will be weighed and measured and found wanting. That if, if you don't close the gap, that looming over your head is this sense of of condemnation. That you're, you're a failure. You're a loser. You're a bum. You're a putz. I don't know what your lingo is. Condemnation looming over our heads. That's why we, we cope so, so much with this gap. We try to do whatever we can to close the gap because this, this dread of condemnation. And Paul comes in and he says, oh, wait, actually, guys, hey, no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Like, in the sense that condemnation isn't even a category that exists anymore for the follower of Jesus. Right? Like, it, it doesn't exist. Like, it's not even an option. That if you're in Christ, condemnation isn't a possibility for you anymore. Okay, you close the gap. You don't close the gap. Guess what? No condemnation. All right? It's, uh, anybody uh, watch America's Got Talent? Right? You know how the judges, they have uh, their, their switches that if an act is like not going very well, they can just kind of hit their switch and it pops up the red X and it just kind of condemns that person to obscurity and anonymity for the rest of their life because your act sucks. Uh, and so they have this, this switch and they can just 
push the red X. Like, this is the judge condemning them, right? And here we are going along, and Paul says, there is now no condemnation. So you're going along, and you, you're, you're trying to close the gap. You're trying to be that person. Sleepy Carl gets in the way, and he wins out the battle this time, and you look over at the judge, and you see him flip the switch, and you expect the red X, but all you get is a green check. It's like, wait, that's different. And so you try harder next time, and you're, you're trying to close the gap, and oh, man, and then you slip, and you fall again. You look over, well, sure enough, there's going to be a red X this time. Nope, oh, just the green check. And over and over and over again, all you get is the green check because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not a category that exists. You cannot be condemned. Like, that's what he's saying when he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All right, and I want to take just a moment to define terms here, okay? Because law of the Spirit who gives life, you can kind of see how it's juxtaposed against law of sin and death, life, death. You kind of see the two opposing laws. Uh, These are terms that he's pulling in back from chapter 7. So these are terms that he's already been using, and neither of them are, are like literal laws, all right? So he kind of talks about three laws in Romans 7. There's like the law of the Spirit, all right, which is kind of like the, the principle of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, the law of sin and death, which is, is Sleepy Carl. That's actually Sleepy Carl. Uh, and then he also talks about like the actual Old Testament law. So it's kind of like a play on words. He's working with the Old Testament law there. Uh, neither of these is referring to the Old Testament law. He's talking about the, the rule or principle, the reign of the spirit in your life and the reign of sin and death, which is the reign of Sleepy Carl in your life. And he says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit has set you free from Sleepy Carl. That's how we know that there's no condemnation. But I, I want to just ta- pause for a moment because he says, is it you free? You free right here? Uh, in English, we don't have like plural and singular, singular you. We just have you for both of them. Uh, and some people try to do the y'all thing, which is gross. I prefer use guys if you have to do it. Uh, but right here, this is singular you. And that's, that's not normal for Paul. Like, usually in a sentence like this, he would use the plural you to be like, you guys, there's, you've been set free, all of you, together, right? But here, he switches it to the singular because he wants, he wants to be clear that this is for you. This isn't just for the person sitting next to you. This isn't just kind of because you're part of this bigger, no, 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 for you personally, you've been set free. But I, I want to also point out this word because, because it, it can sound like there's no condemnation because, in the sense that the cause of there being no condemnation is that you've been set free from Sleepy Carl. All right? But if that's the case, that doesn't quite add up. Because just like a couple verses earlier, Paul's saying that he hasn't been set free from his own Sleepy Carl. So, like, this wouldn't be very good news to him. But this word cause, because, it can have kind of two different meanings. It can either mean the cause of something, like why something happens, but it can also be the evidence for something. So to borrow an illustration from John Piper, I could say, I'm hungry right now because I didn't eat breakfast this morning, which is true. Uh, Or I could say, I'm hungry right now because my stomach is growling. It's not actually growling. This is just an illustration. But in the, the latter case, I say, the stomach growling isn't the cause. It's not why I'm hungry. It's the evidence for why I'm hungry. And in this usage, he's using it in that sense, that right here, this is the evidence of being, uh, there being no condemnation. 
is that the law of the Spirit is set you free from the rule and reign of Sleepy Carl. And you might say, well, Sleepy Carl's still in my life, and it's still in Paul's life, too. And he's not saying that you're, you're free from Sleepy Carl's presence. It's just that Sleepy Carl isn't, isn't running the show. He might still step in at times, but he's not, he doesn't have free reign over your life in the same way anymore. And you get to see the, the, the evidence of his tyrannical rule being released a little bit. And we're going to be able to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But the reason we know that this is not a cause, it's evidence, is because he gives us the cause in this next verse. For, by the way, just because, you know, Greek and English is super confusing, this word for, same word in Greek that's translated because, same idea, but this time it's pointing to the cause. For, with the law, now it's talking about the Old Testament law, God's rules, his commands, what the law was powerless to do, powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. Notice this. The law wasn't powerless because of something wrong with the law. The law was God's perfect law, but it was weakened by the flesh, which is Paul's word for sleepy Carl. Uh, so the law was being weakened by the flesh. All right, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Get this. God did. Let's just let those two words sink in for just a moment because I don't know if there's two better words in the English language when they're put together. God did. For what you were powerless to do. What the law was powerless to do. What your hard work and determination was powerless to do. What your religious exercises were powerless to do. What your, your discipline was powerless to do. What your family was powerless to do. What your social network was powerless to do. What everything inside of you and outside of you was powerless to do. God did. Yeah. What you were powerless to do, God did. And I have this picture in my head. My daughter, she's like three and a half. She's going to be four soon, which is crazy. But she's in that stage where she, she's ex, uh, asserting her independence. So she wants to do things by herself. And, uh, and she's learning to do lots of great stuff, which is super cool. And we're so proud of her. But every so often, she'll be trying to do something and she'll, she'll get stuck. And like sometimes she'll like literally get stuck. She'll be like taking a dress off and like get stuck. And she's like powerless in that moment. And she'll start to just cry out and she'll just scream and cry for help. She's like, I can't do it. I I can't do it. I can't do it. And she'll, she'll be tears streaming down her eyes. And she'll be crying, I can't do it. My, my wife or I will, will hear her and we'll come running in and, and we'll, we'll hold her and we'll say, it's okay. It's okay. You can wipe your tears away. You don't, you don't need to worry. I know you can't do it, but I can. I can help you. We can do it. This is the image of Paul. He's saying, I'm a wretch. I can't do it. I'm stuck. I'm trying. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm trying. I can't do it. And God comes swooping. And he says, let me wipe your tears away. And get this. God doesn't say, I can do it. He says, I did it. It's done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I did it. And how did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. This is so important. He condemned sin in the flesh. 
he condemned sin. So he wasn't withholding sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in Jesus' flesh as a sin offering. There's, the reason there's no condemnation for us is that condemnation has already been spent on the cross, right? You get that picture of like America's Got Talent, that, that switch that's hitting, it's supposed to be hitting the X and it just keeps coming out to a check mark. And it's like, you see the judge is hitting the switch. Like there should be condemnation. It's not coming out. I keep screwing up. I keep seeing him hit the switch. It's gotta be going somewhere. It reminds me of that uh, episode of Friends where Monica finds a switch in her apartment. Any Friends fans? Uh, she finds a switch in her apartment that like doesn't seem to do anything. And she's like driving her crazy. She's like, I gotta figure out what the switch is doing. She starts like opening holes in her apartment like pulling things out. She hires an electrician to come and like spends all this money because she's like, the switch has to be going somewhere. And you're looking at the judge flipping the switch, flipping the switch, flipping the switch. We're saying the switch has to be going somewhere and it does. So all those red X's have been going to the cross. It's been diverted to the cross. So that condemnation for sin, it, it, it happened already at the cross. See, there's no condemnation for you, not because God is withholding condemnation, because condemnation has been exhausted at the cross. It's been spent. There's none left for you. It's been spent. It's exhausted. There's none left Jesus took it all. For those of us who are, are followers of Jesus, maybe you, you might be thinking like, well, okay, Jesus died for my sins. There's no condemnation. Like, this is Christianity 101. And like, uh, duh. Uh, but I want to remind you of something. That this letter that Paul is writing to the Romans, he's writing to the Christians in Rome. He's writing this to people who know Jesus, who believe the gospel he isn't writing this to people who don't know. He's writing this to people that know. And the reason he is is because, because it's hard, even for us as followers of Jesus, to really trust this fully. It's uncomfortable. Even for followers of Jesus, even for me, it's uncomfortable to, to lean too much into there's no condemnation. Like, maybe I need just a little bit of condemnation, Right? Like, we want a little bit of condemnation. We don't, want to, we don't want to take this too far. You know, if you take this too far, there's no condemnation business. If you take it too far, then we're going to trivialize our sin. We're not going to take our sin seriously, right? And it's like, well, actually, if you realize that there's no condemnation because the condemnation has been exhausted on the cross, I don't, I don't think we're going to take our sin too seriously. Let me say, no, 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 I, I can't. I can't lean too far into this no condemnation thing. I need a little bit of condemnation because what's going to motivate me to not go back into sin? You start telling people that the consequences of their sin have been paid for, that they don't have to deal with the consequences of their sin. They're just going to keep on sinning, right? And we start to feel that. We get uncomfortable. We say, we can't take this too far because we feel like the, the punishment, the condemnation for sin, we just need a little bit of that because that's what's going to motivate us to not sin. And I, I think Paul anticipates this because look at what he says next. All right. It was condemned in the flesh. Sin was condemned in the flesh in order that. This is like a, a purpose statement. Why was sin condemned in the flesh? In order that the righteous requirement of the law. Righteous requirement. Again, this is singular. 
Not requirements, plural. Requirements, singular. And this is an unusual way of saying it. But the reason Paul is saying this, he's not saying that the, the commands, the full, all the commands of the law are going to be fulfilled. He's saying that the, the, the actual requirement of the law, that all the law and the prophets hang on this one command. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This righteous requirement of the law is love. He's saying that there's no condemnation that has been condemned in Christ for us in order that. Why? In order that love might be fully met in us who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, we, we tend to think that we need just a little bit of condemnation for us to kind of put off sin and to, to obey Jesus, we need just a little bit of that condemnation. It's going to motivate us. Because some, somewhere deep inside, we still feel like the, the, the best motivation, is it true that the best motivation to not sin is the, the fear of punishment? Is that really the best we can come up with? Like, that would be like, you know, telling me, hey, Trevor, don't, don't cheat on Lindsay. You, know, you don't want to cheat on Lindsay. Because, you know, the, the, the best reason I can give you not to cheat on her is because, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt her, it's going to hurt your kids, you know, there's going to be fallout, it's going to affect the church, like, there's going to be consequences for cheating on Lindsay. Like, is that the best motivation for me not to cheat on my wife? I mean, it's, it's a good one, but obviously it's not enough for plenty of people. It's a far better motivation to say, Trevor, Trevor, just be captivated by your wife. Fall in love with her. See her beauty. Be, be just enraptured in, in, in by her. Because if, if you do that, then the fear of punishment, that, that's nothing compared to love as a motivator. And what Paul is saying here is, there's no condemnation for you because Jesus took it and he gives us a better motivation. He gives us love that when you see that the creator of the universe, the one that's calling you to this righteous requirement of love, that he gave his son for you and you fall in love with him, you see his beauty and his majesty, that is a far better motivation than simply the fear of punishment. Paul's saying, no, 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 you don't need to hold on to condemnation to not sin. No, 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 you need to press deeper. Give yourself more fully to the reality that there is now no condemnation for your sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't, don't feel like you can press too deeply into that. You can't. You can't. Condemnation has been exhausted at the cross. You don't have to bear that anymore. You can press fully into that. And not only does it give you better motivation, but it also frees you up to love. Because where there's condemnation, there's compensation. Where there's condemnation, there's compensation. You don't know the kind of the stereotype of the middle-aged man who has a midlife crisis, goes out and buys a ridiculous sports car. You know, you've seen it, and what do we say? He's compensating for something. And what is he compensating for? Well, he's compensating for the gap between who he is and who he wants to be or, or thinks he should be, right? And whenever there's that, that sense of that gap and that sense of condemnation for that gap, there's going to be compensation. There's going to, maybe you're not going to go out and buy a sports car, but you're going to do something. You're going to have your ways of compensating for the gap. And, you know, you're going to be a people pleaser. You're going to give yourself to all these things. You're never going to say no to anything. Or maybe you're going to say no to everything or whatever. You're going to find your way of compensating for the gap. And every, every decision, every moment you find yourself in life, you're going to begin asking that question, how can I compensate for the gap? How can I close the gap? How can I compensate for the gap? Right? 
But if there's no condemnation, then the gap, the gap isn't on your mind anymore. Wherever you find yourself, you don't need to be asking, how can I use this moment as an opportunity to compensate for the gap? What you get to do in that moment is say, in this moment, what does love require of me? It's the only question we need to ask anymore. We've been freed from asking that question of how can I close the gap? How can I compensate for the gap? There's no condemnation. It's done. See, the key to fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law isn't holding on to condemnation and trying to give you, you know, add guilt and shame to you know, motivate you. No, no, no. It's to free you. Free you. To stop thinking about you, even. So you can ask, what does love require of me? Because there is no condemnation for you. It's done. It's gone. I want to encourage you to press into this. If there's fear that, oh, no, no, I can't. I can't take it too far. No, 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 just press in. You can't press it too far. This is God's promise for you. And as you do, experience that freedom to love and love well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. And today we thank you for this incredible promise that wherever we are right now, and however far we are from the person that we know we could be, know we should be, no matter how many times we let Sleepy Carl win out the day, God, that there is now no condemnation for us if we are in Christ. God, I pray that your spirit will impress upon us the reality of this promise, that he would dispel any fears of holding out and trying to, to hold on to just a little bit of condemnation for whatever reason, God, that we would, we would give ourselves fully to this promise. Rest in this promise that there is now no condemnation for me. Because that condemnation has been exhausted on the cross. And Father, I pray that as we do, as we do lean into this promise, that we would be freed up to ask that question, what does love require of me? Stop thinking about the ways we can compensate for our inadequacies and our deficiencies, but instead, instead to be looking outward and asking how we can love and love well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.